0: Welcome to the Simple Gospel Church podcast, raising a generation that will stand
1: for Christ. And the today. And uh, for this morning, we'll be having a look at John chapter seventeen. We'll be looking at this in the evenings, but
0: we'll look at this this morning. John chapter seventeen. From verse
1: 12 to verse 19. So, we'll be looking at the prayer of Jesus. But oh, before we even go further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We bless your holy name. We exalted the Lord in the name of Jesus. Our Father and our God, Ask that even as we go into the word this morning, my father, you go with us in the name of Jesus, help us, lead us, guide us in the name of Jesus, and Lord, all glory be yours forever and ever. That's in Jesus' name we have prayed, amen. Right, so we've been talking about the prayer of Jesus. For we pray for three sets of people, pray for himself, pray for his disciples, pray for your church. That's what we have. In John chapter 17. So, before now, we've looked at Jesus' prayer for himself. And Pastor Dengar took us on that. Took us on a bit of the prayer that he prayed for his disciples. And one of the major things that he taught us, if you remember clearly, is that he said that this was one of the things that showed the humanity of Jesus. In that Jesus was a man who needed prayer just as much as we as individuals need prayer. And that Jesus himself could pray, then how much more we as individuals. Now, this is very important for us to understand because the deity of Jesus is something that we cannot deny. And it is what makes him the savior of the world. The humanity of Jesus is also something that we cannot deny. God, was, uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man. A lot of people would try to take away from either side of it. So, and you might hear someone who explain this thing, and when they explain it, you have to be careful about these explanations. So you might hear someone tell you that, oh, Jesus was 50% God, 50% man. No. So people will say, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. Also no. Not because. It's the fact that ascribing numbers and values to the deity or the humanity of Jesus is problematic. And it gives us this strict sense of sharing of the body of Christ, which is why a lot of preachers will just say the God-man, right? They use that term, the God-man, so that those understand that if he's fully God, he's fully man, let's accept it like that. Because it is very important for our theology, the fact that Jesus was man. Because if Jesus was not man, then he would not have the qualifications to save us do we understand that if he's not man then he doesn't have the qualifications to save us because why why would you then say that oh i've gone through the things you've gone through if you are not like me how can you say that he suffered the things that we suffered if you are not like me that can't work and at the same time if he's not god then again, he's not qualified to save us because only God could have met the conditions that were necessary for the salvation of humanity. And therefore, that prayer is very important to point out these things, that Jesus was a man. And so, he prayed for himself, he prayed for glorification. He prayed essentially that God do the thing in which you have said that will be done. Let this plan flow through. And he did that. He prayed for himself. But then he prays for the next set of people who are his disciples. And that's where we have our text. So the Bible here says, when I was with them, I was protecting them by your name. Let's have the KJV, please. I read in the CSV, to be fair, but I usually like teaching sometimes. So sometimes I ask you to switch to CSV, but this is not one of those times. Uh, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of Perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the word had hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also May be sanctified through the truth. Amen, amen. So, what do you understand with that prayer? When you look at that prayer, what what sticks out to you? I like people talking with my class, as long as it's within reason. Buky, tell us, what's your passage in my opinion? Um he was saying the prayer was more about Jesus saying that he was accountable for the disciples when he was on earth when he was in the world accountable for the disciples he also said that they are not of the world. Um, in verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they that they may have my... 14 rather. I've given them your word, and your word has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's, that is also saying that... Because Jesus is not of the world, as in doesn't do what people in the world the bad things of the world so his disciples are not automatically are not also of the world okay okay no problem (laughs) okay no problem so let's talk let's talk through verse 12 right let's talk through verse 12 verse 12 says that while i was with them in the world i kept them in my name that those that, that thou givest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that scripture might be fulfilled. So Jesus said something here that is rather fascinating. He talked about how he kept his people, right? So as Sister Buki said that Jesus was accountable, So he took accountability, responsibility for his disciples. That's fine. But how did he keep them? He said that he kept them in thy name. So, he kept them in in the name of Jesus. Now, and I mean, we see it even in our life today. You know, what keeps us is is the name of Jesus. So, just imagine with me for a second. I don't know. Maybe there was a time in your life that you ever um, went to, a party, some sort of activity and everything, that under normal circumstances, maybe you might not have found yourself going there. So in my my life, there there are some times whereby you find yourself in environments that you do not... uh, Some people say it's above your pay grade. (laughs) Like, you just come to... uh, Some of these events are very, very flashy, very bougie, and like, yo, what's going on here? And of course, because yeah not there's a particular one uh this one is a slightly different example but uh what happened in my university I just remembered it now, sir. So, happened in my university days. So I went to Univag and um and when I was when I was in like and everything, someone was doing my family, my family members and everything, some of my extended family. we were having an event in one of the university halls. I, I don't know, someone's engagement, someone's, I can not remember. But it was a huge party. Everybody was sitting here, if you come down, i was like, don't. that's okay, fine, whatever. So I just threw on whatever I had at the time. Just one very simple shirt a pair of pants. And I went to the venue. Then I got to the venue, and I said, okay, well, let me step in. A couple of hefty individuals now came and stood in my front. I'm like, Yes, what are you looking for? I said, I want to go into the place for the event. Sorry, this is a private event. Yeah, I know. But I'm supposed to go in. Yes, I'm Sorry, you have to go back. Okay, why? You're not invited to this event. Ah, How do you know this? (laughs) You're not invited to this event. Okay, no problem. I don't like Wala. I carried my phone and I called my aunt. And, you know, my aunt is one of these proper Yoruba women. So by the time I called him, he outside. Came out, saw the boss. <laughs> Do you not know who he is? He's he's, sharp on you. man. It's all right. <laughs> I was enjoying myself. And then, after I was able to gain access, you know. Now, part of the reason I was able to go in because I just threw on simple clothes and all of that. But why I was able to gain access is because I knew somebody. I was essentially getting in by that person's name and authority. So, it's like when maybe you watch a movie whereby someone is about to enter somewhere, and they don't stop the person and you say, oh, they are with me. They are with me, they are with me. And because they are with that person, they have to go through. That is what it means to be kept in someone's name. Because that name has authority. Because that name is recognized. That name has Substance. That's why you can go to some places and say, Oh, I am from ex-professor this, this, this. And ah no, 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 they start to treat you as if you're the best person that they've ever seen in their lives. And the reason for that is what? It's the authority that resides in the name. And there is authority in the name of Jesus. So being kept in that name means that they have the Ability we have the access to use that name for their lives, and that is what keeps them. But who does it keep them from? Is now the question. Who does it keep them from? Who does it keep them from? Huh? Eh? Who is the evil one? Satan, right? Okay. Because when we come right down to it, we have only one enemy. And it's Satan. Now you might say, Ah, I have a lot of haters, I have a lot of haters. But what they have in common is still the same Satan. It's not your haters outside. They are not hitting you independent of the devil. They are hating you by, by his help. <laughs> That's how they are able to hate you. And so we are kept from the evil one by the name. Of Jesus, do you understand? We're kept by the wall by the name of Jesus because our name has authority. I'll give you another example. When I was in secondary school, uh how many of us went to boarding house? Okay. How many of us had school fathers or school mothers? But okay. So he hasn't had. So which <Mookie> is the <laughs> Shinto was probably some school mother too. So if you understand that concept, what tended to happen? Is that if you had a school father, especially and usually, if you remember very correctly, having the the more notorious the school father, the better, right? It's, it's, not, it's not really nice to have one chill school father because you'll be like, this just, you, want chill, no, 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 no. you want you want the senior they call terror, senior terror, yeah, that's what you want as your school father because you know that, ah, that one, nothing, 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 no, okay. No, no. But how it usually works is the idea that, like, because you're yeah, under that school father's protection you can't be touched right so usually what most people do is that they'll, they'll get their school father in like ss3 or ss2 you know In fact i think the best was actually ss2 That an ss2 senior that was nasty horrible so that even the ss3 could override him but then at the same time you also get two years of protection so that's the optimal. So that's your smart strategy. Get, get a wicked person in the SS2. You know that, okay. Because you know there are some people now that just because of how they are, even the class above them can't touch them. Because they're just anyhow. So if you're under that person, because the SS3 senior, plus all the people, they can't touch you. And that was the idea. So if you're walking around, and one senior says, Hey, well, everybody, lie down flat. Or whatever it is that they do. And you're like, ah. No, I don't want to stain my clothes. Hey, what do you mean? Who are you? And then even his mates will be just gone then ah nah, a nah, terror school son that thing. That's terror school dot. Leave leave her or leave him alone. And so the people that are supposed to, in quote, punish you or make you suffer or make you go through certain things, now have to leave you alone. And it's the same way with Jesus. Because do you think the devil doesn't want to throw you up and down? What did the Bible tell us? The Bible told us that Jesus said something to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has come for you. He wanted to sift you. He said, but I prayed for you. The Bible tells us that we have an advocate for the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so, what that means, essentially, is that, Satan wants to sift everybody. But there are some people that he cannot touch. Why? Because they are in a name. Under the authority of somebody or something. And for us, it's somebody. That's Jesus Christ. But you see, this also teaches us something about the security of Jesus. Jesus is incredibly secure. So he said that, you gave them to me, and I have kept them, and none of them is lost. That's the security of Jesus. But Jesus said, he made an exception here. He said, but the son of perdition, so meaning that, in quotes, Jesus lost one person. Does this now mean that Jesus is not secure? Does it, does, it, does it mean that Jesus is not secure? Does it mean that Jesus will fail? Does it mean that out of every 12, there's one Christian that is, that, is, that is in trouble because Jesus cannot keep them? That is, if we're going to, statistically speaking, is, is that what we're going to say? The answer is no. We can't say so. And the reason we can't say so is what comes after. He said that scripture might be fulfilled. Judas's falling away was not because of Jesus' inability to keep him, but rather because scripture had to be fulfilled. Do we understand? It wasn't a case of, oh, out of every 12, there's going to be one that Jesus can't keep, statistically speaking, because he failed in case of one person. No. Jesus explained it there. He said that, but this one, so that scripture may be fulfilled. That the eternal word of God. Which the Bible tells us cannot return to him void might be fulfilled, but then, if we look even deeper at this, we realize something that the loss of Judas was not because of Jesus's inability to keep him, but because jesus that because Judas stepped out of the name of Jesus, it was because Judas stepped out of the name of Jesus. And that was, and see the words that is, I I said stepped out, not was pushed out, neither was it was he pulled out. He stepped out. It was a conscious decision, a conscious choice. He stepped away. Because you see, if we look through the gospels, we find a recurring thing, which is that. Jesus continually standing up for his disciples while he was on earth. So the Pharisees will come and say, Oh, why are these, these, these. The Jesus will now ask them that. Okay, how about you people that do this, 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 and they'll ask you quiet and step away. That's because Jesus was a disciple. But then we look at all the actions of Judas and realize that Judas carried out all of these actions outside of Jesus. He wasn't with him. Was he with him when he negotiated 30 pieces of silver? And it was because he stepped out of that. That's why the Bible tells us that Satan was able to enter into him. We have a picture here of the physical presence of Jesus always being a protection for his disciples against evil. And we see situations whereby when they were not with him, they usually wound up in trouble. So, they were not with him. They were supposed to heal a boy who was being possessed. And then they couldn't. The man complained. said, said, ah, I will give it to your disciples, but they couldn't do it. Or when they went away from Jesus and they tried to sail across the sea, they entered into turbulent water. Jesus had to come and walk on water to come and save them. We have that picture of Jesus being our keeper and protector. So if we look at the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10, you see something there. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong power, The righteous run into it and is safe. His name is a tower. the righteous run into it and are safe. There is safety and security in the name of Jesus. Why? Because that name has authority. Because he has been given a name above every other name. And that name has authority. And before Jesus died, he said that he kept them in thy name. In the name of God. Whom he is. My name of God. And after Jesus died, said he had a more excellence in him, that's above every other name. But then if we continue, um, so now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So what joy are they having fulfilled? What's this joy that is being fulfilled? What's this joy about? I think I was just excited child? <laughs> something. So, the joy that is being fulfilled is the joy of the gospel of salvation the joy that you and I have, if you really, if you think about it, and you have to think about it, where does your joy come from? Where does your joy come from? And when I say joy, I mean spiritual. I don't say where does your happiness come from. Neither do I say where does your excitement come from. Because if I say where does your excitement come from, where does your happiness come from, I'm sorry you cannot give me answers. You may tell me that, oh, you got a bumper. You know, alert yesterday. You're happy. You're happy because of that, which is fine. No problem. You know, something happened. This happened. That happened. No problem. But where does your joy come from? Anyone want to tell us? Talk. So where does the joy come from? Was Was where does it come from? Where's What's Where does it Where does it, it, it? it emanate? Do you know sure. It or? But I know happiness and joy are different things. Uh-huh. So where does your joy come from? I didn't hear Silence and serenity. Silence and serenity. Okay. No problem. Uh, anyone else wants to help us? Where does your joy come from? Sister MJ wants to help. Give it to so her. Um, we can to give a general answer. I say it comes from the Lord. But I to put it this way that mm-hmm. um, I notice personally that anytime I spend time alone with God, there's this thing, there's this quietness inside. You might see me sitting down quiet, but inside, I just notice something that spending so much time with God gives me this quietness that gives me deep joy. So most times when I see myself it's maybe noisy, sometimes it looks like something is wrong. Something has tampered that joy. Because most times I just noticed that not the quietness that comes from outside but inside
0: of me. It gives me joy.
1: Excellent. Now what okay. Oh, like she's yeah, sure, sure, sure. As she yeah. said. But you see, that that joy that you feel on the inside is predicated on something. It's predicated on the fact that you now have a relationship with the person that gives you that silence and that peace. That you are now reconciled with that individual. That is why, if not, why would you have the quietness and the peace? If the if the peace had been broken, if there was still a, in quotes, there was still a disagreement, would you have that peace? No, you wouldn't. It would be gone. So your peace and your joy emanate from this sacrifice. Because this sacrifice is what enabled us to come into a relationship with God. It is this sacrifice that tore the temple partition in two. That now enabled us to now have access into the holy of holies. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Right? The joy of the Lord is strength. Right? Often that is very true. Why do we have access into that presence? And why is the Lord joyful? The joy is, Lord is joyful because of reconciliation, his people coming back to him. That's why the only passage of scripture that talks about the Lord singing is because his people are coming to him. Last in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3. And if that joy is going to be complete. Is because Jesus paid that sacrifice. And he spoke to them about it. So if you look at the preceding chapters, from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 17, Jesus was saying some things to them. He was giving them assurance of salvation because he told them that I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, you too may be also. He told them something. He said that in the world you are going to have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. All of these things were to so complete their joy. So that there will be no there will be no shaking in the fact that they understand that okay. This is not a maybe. This is not a if and but. It's a certainty. Do we understand? So, verse fourteen says. I have given them thy word, and the word hits. Had hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is something we've talked about quite a bit. The world is going to hate you, um, and God, Jesus has given us the Word of God, and because we have that Word, the world is going to hate you. That's normal, because you are not of the world. So when you are not of something, you don't you don't like those people. That's like Manchester United fans don't like Arsenal fans, because they're like we are not in the same tribe. We are not together. But you see that if they meet each other on the road, even if they've never met each other in their life, there is a common commonality. You know? I've heard of people entering buses with Manchester United Jersey and they suddenly don't have to pay. Why? Because the driver happens to be a Manchester United fan. Yeah, yeah I'm a logo. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> because we are together. The world is a tribal place. It's something we can't get rid you of. Know, because that's how God has created us, he created us as people, as people groups. And so there's a tribality to it. So because they are not part of the world, they must be hated. Verse 15. It says, I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that sh- that, that thou should but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. I feel like a video I saw recently where a pastor was struggling really hard to read the King James. (laughs) So, Jesus was not praying to take them out. Because at the end of the day, one of the ways to escape danger, just to die. Right? (laughs) There's one of the ways. And you might hear some people argue with you that, hey, why can't Jesus suffer in this world? Let's just offer ourselves. You know, let's... Let's take our own lives. Of course, that's not biblical. We can't do that. But Jesus asked something here. He said, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil. So, if I had to ask what this evil was, what would you tell me? Satan. The hmm? Allah says sin. Okay. Um, oh, you want us to explain to me? Give her the microphone. Why I said Satan is because I think we've established in here that evil is a person. Yes. First, so if we say that evil is a person, it means that everything that should be to the enemy can be categorized as evil. So okay. I know, okay. Okay. That's, that's fine, So, but he said protect them from the evil. But you realize something. Were the disciples protected from the being uh, one? Did any of them live to be a ripe old age, happy, excited, living it up? Did they or did not all die gruesome deaths? So what does that tell us about the statements that Jesus made? Give him the mic and bring the mic. I think it tells us that there's a difference between
0: persecution and evil. You, know, you know, um persecution can be evil. In the sense of the act of it, but um, it's not necessarily the case because in this, I feel like in this case, he was talking about sin, about the wickedness of this world, in terms of living in that wickedness. You know, it's it's kind of like the same way we say today that even though the world is going in another direction, God will still prosper us right um in that sense regardless of what is going on in this world whatever god's promises are for us we will still go we will still fulfill them and i think in the same sense the the disciples were not allowed to um or god in his own infinite mercy did not allow the disciples to fall into evil as much as possible as they also were not you know were avoiding it
1: Okay? That's right. Alright. So thank you for your explanation, but we have to clarify what it tells us here is that we must look at our understanding of what the evil is. Is the evil we cannot um what's the word? We cannot restrict the evil to the sufferings of this world or to the evil that men do in some circumstances or situations. Because all of these disciples went on to die. Deaths that were inflicted by man. It was men that ordered for their killing. It was men that said, flee this one's skin. It was men that said, crucify this one upside down. It was men that said, boil this one, and so on and so forth. It was men that said, spear this person. But the evil, the one that Jesus cared about the most, was the evil of apostasy. Because that's what happens when the evil happens to us. When the evil grabs us, then we are away from Christ and we fall into eternal damnation. Jesus cares about your life and life, that is true. But he doesn't care up to one tenth or on 1,058th of your eternal life. And then Jesus said that, that thou should not take them out of this world, but thou should keep them from being evil. The other thing that Jesus was saying here, that is also quite remarkable, that we must also keep into consideration, is that, All of the disciples died. But they all died on God's terms. And I think that's important. You know, when we suffer persecution, and for whatever reason, a person is to die because of it, make no mistake, that person is dying on God's terms. Not on the terms of the world. In that, no one can Kill that person and then say that oh evil has triumphed. No, because God has allowed that God to do something, He has used it for His glory. And so Jesus prayed that it shouldn't be taken out of the world before that. Because every death that the disciples died was to the glory of God and for the advancement of this gospel. That's the advancement of this gospel. And that's what we must understand. The evil that Jesus wants to keep us from is to ensure that we do not fall out of eternal life. Because that's when, that's when there's a problem. That's when there's a problem. Keep them from the evil. Are we clear? Do we understand? Okay, let's move on to verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That's, um, we've talked about that quite a bit. So I don't think it's something that that's going begin. That so let's look at verse 17. It so says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So, um, let's turn to Psalm one hundred and nineteen, verse one hundred and forty-two. Longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm one hundred and nineteen, verse one forty-two. Said, "Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth." So, this tells us that God's word, both the Old and the New Testament, is is truth, right? Okay. So, what does it then mean to be sanctified by the truth? What does it mean to be sanctified by the truth? So, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, what that tells us, obviously, is that the word of God is truth, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Then they have to be sanctified by it. So, how are they sanctified by it? What does that mean? That's what we're trying to understand here. What does it mean to be sanctified? Sure. What do we understand by sanctification in the first place? Can anyone? Sanctification, someone will talk about all of that. Everyone's, everyone says I'm sanctified, I'm sanctified, sanctified. Something. Okay, oh. What do we mean? What are we talking about? No, sir. Stagger. Stagger. You mind? I would best describe. Sanctification as the process whereby a person becomes more like God, and what I mean by that is, yes, you come to the faith, you realize to Christ, new birth, and everything. But as you start to expose yourself to um, Scripture, fellowship with God, and prayer. And you start to apply those things in your life. Little by little, the impurities in your life fade and you become more like God. So, um, we are saying that oh, Jesus here said Oh, I didn't answer that one, but you are saying? If Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. The word is true. means that I mean the same Bible says the truth can is the truth that sets us free. Truth we know sets you But basically what that means is it is God's word that has the ability to cleanse us. Cleanse us not even just from a place of oh God I I did the same, forgiveness, no. But cleanse us, remove every impurity in our character, in our mindset, in our attitude and you know, transform us, change us and okay. that's okay. all right. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Let me hear you. I just wanted to add that um okay, let's assume that um I have um plates in my sink that are dirty mm. and um I have to wash mm. with water mm. to make them clean. And um the say says that to make her holy by the washing of water through the world, mm. So basically, how one gets clean is by the washing of the words, okay. which signifies the water. Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, yeah, all, you've all made good points. No no doubt about that. I just want us to understand it on a granular level. When I say understanding on a granular level, I want us to understand it as much as possible to the utmost. Now, how many of us are fans of mathematics? I envy you, <laughs> I do not like math. I am not good at it. I, I okay, no. I shouldn't say I am not good at it. I can do all things, right? But uh, I've never always been in fan of mathematics. Where there is anything that I learned about it, it was the place of formulas, right? You had certain formulas, and when you had those formulas, the idea was that as long as you use the formula as you should, it would be what you are working will come out by itself, like. Then they used to tell me all the time that don't worry about the answer, like don't bother like if you apply the formula right, the answer will be right, don't worry about it. The the consequence of the right application of a formula is the correct answer. And I say ah, okay, all well and good. But now, if the formula was um X plus y squared equals to z right so that's the formula what would happen if i then applied x plus y cubed equals to z i'll get it wrong i'll get the wrong answer okay that is truth. what we must understand is this truth for all intents and purposes is information when something is truth, it's a state of something being true. Something that can be believed, right? But not only that, it is information by which something is right. So, what that means is that it's a formula. If we have the truth, by extension, our end goal and our consequence will be equals to correctness, right? To rightness if we do not have the truth we will end up not getting the right answer am i right so what that means then is that anyone who does not live in truth cannot have the right answer do you understand me does that make any sense to you whereby like if because here's the thing about information because information is information, we have to act on it. Information is information that we're expected to act upon. Whereas it propels us to do something about it. So um, if, if suddenly uh, Josephine were to tell Tokwe that, oh, Tokwe, Pastor Femi has a wooden leg. Pastor Femi has a wooden leg. He's like those pirates of old like Long John Silver. Right? Who read Treasure Island? Okay, so some of us if you know everyone. So Ch- Treasure Island is a is an old book. He had a character called Long John Silver who had a wooden leg. So we might have seen those cartoons where you have the pirates and the pirate has a wooden leg and everything. So we just went to um Doctor that, so, oh, Pastor has a wooden leg and that's how he is. And Doctor Winston starts to look at me and say, yeah. Some of those trousers that Pastor Femi used to wear is actually wooden leg that is there. Okay, no problem. The next time Topware wants to buy me a pair of shoes, he's going to think very deeply about what kind of shoes he should get me. Because he'll be like, since Pastor Femi has a wooden leg, he probably can't just wear any hand, anyhow shoes. And so, because of that, maybe because he's being considerate, you now say, you know what? Let me just buy him one leg of shoe. It doesn't, since his wooden leg will be fine. I mean, the wooden leg, if dust is on this, it, it's fine. He it can easily clean it. He doesn't have to stress himself. he just just wipe it. Or better still, polish it with kidney. Right? And his leg will be good as new. And then, what happens then? Tokwe acts on that information, right? He acts on that information. And then, when next? Maybe he won't have a birthday or something. he says, hey, Pastor, let me a happy birthday. God bless you, sir. Here you go. Gives me a box and I open the box and I say one pair of shoes. Or I see one shoe, sorry, not a pair. I see one shoe. Topper, what's going on? I thought something we have a wooden leg. Who told you? Now the point I'm trying to make here is that because of the information that was given to Topper, Topper acted on that information and then got the wrong results. Yes or no? But why? Because he acted on a lie, something that was not true. So ask yourself. The people of the world right now. How do you what formula are they living by? What formula are they living by? So if the word of God is true, that means it is the only thing that we can apply to our lives that will make us live right. The reason it sanctifies us is that sanctification is being set apart. Living in the truth sets you apart. From everybody else. Because everyone else, by virtue of the fact that they are not in Jesus Christ, are ostensibly living in lies. And if you live in a lie, you cannot live right. It's impossible. If you live in truth, you can live right. And that's one way for us to understand it when it comes to sanctifying us. Because that truth is the truth that makes us more like Christ. And so if we continue in our truth, we are going to go towards the end result, which is to be like him. Right? That's the entire point. And therefore, the word of God sanctifies us by making us more like him. Because it is the only road map that we have to be like him. Do you understand? Verse 18. Uh, I'm more or less done. Verse 18 says, And thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Verse 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. So we have two things there. Uh, first thing is that Jesus was the first. Apostle, he was sent, right? His first missionary, (laughs) he was sent. And then in the same vein, he sends us because we have to be like him. So we have to do the things that Jesus did. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus spread the gospel. Jesus healed the sick. Right? Jesus healed the sick. Jesus performed miracles. Everything, which is why in the book of Mark, chapter 16, it says that this sign shall follow them that believe. Shall speak in new tongues. They shall cast out demons, speak in new tongues. And all of those other things. Why? Because essentially that's what Jesus too was doing. So we are like him. We too are also sent. You are sent. You are sent. You are sent. You are sent. sent. I'm sent. Because Jesus was sent. And we are not greater than our master. So we cannot claim that so, eh, well, me I'm sent but I'm not going to do it. Eh? But then Jesus in the final verse that we are looking at, he said that I sanctify myself. Right? Verse 19. Said that for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Jesus sanctified himself. Essentially, he set himself apart as a sacrifice, away from the world. Jesus lived a sinless life, setting himself apart for God, to die the perfect death. And to rise again from the dead. Because by that, we too cannot be sanctified by the truth of God's word. What's the truth of God's word? The truth of God's word tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But then what enables us to be saved is the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. Jesus had to be set apart as that sacrifice for the truth to sanctify us. Because without it, the word of God then would not be truth. Because the word of God said that Jesus was going to die and rise again for our sins. And they are advocates of the Father, and all of these things, and if Jesus is not set himself apart to go through the things they we went through and actually do the things that Scripture said, then we will have a problem because the Word of God then will not be infallible so What does this mean for us? I would say it's necessary for us to recognize the fact that we are kept by Jesus in his name, as we explained at the very beginning. For us to understand that if we ever walk away from Jesus, the consequences are ours. It's on us. It's never on him. Jesus is secure. That word is supposed to be, a comforting word. It's also supposed to be a warning. That if you ever walk away from, it's not going to be. You won't be able to say, hey, "But Jesus, you didn't." Eh? No. But then he also tells us that if we are going to successfully live the Christian life, we must live it in the life of God's truth, which is in His Word, because that's the only thing that tells us the truth. It's the only thing that tells us how it really is. Only the Bible. There's no other book that tells you how it really is. Everything else is lying to you on one level or the other. Everything. Think about it. Every other thing is lying to you on one level or the other. Everything else. Everything. If it's another religion, it's because the basis of that religion is a falsehood. So they've lied to. you. If it's some grand writing, it's because that person grabs their understanding from a certain notion of the world that is incorrect because it's not scripturally bad. And so, this brings to the fore the importance of clinging to the word of God because that's what keeps us in him. And clinging to the word of God because that's what sanctifies us. This word of God is something we cannot neglect. We can't neglect it. Because it is our only pathway for life. I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Are there any questions? Any questions? None. The message such a great teacher that's Okay. No problem. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have done. We exalted, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask that Lord, even as your word has gone forth, let us sink into the hearts of men. That Lord God, you will be changed and transformed to Your glory, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, I commend the rest of the service into Your hands. Take absolute control. For it's in Jesus' name and I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. The Simple Gospel Church is a church arm of World Impact Ministries, dedicated to taking the gospel all over the world.